Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Hello and welcome to the first edition of the 2021 college football season, where Matt Green, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, and myself recap a wild, a fun, and a still very much going on week one of the college football season with Ole Miss in Louisville, still scheduled to play tomorrow night, recording this on a Sunday night, and Matt, we have we have so much to cover, but Matt, how, how are you? I'm doing excellent, sir. It was a uh, it was an amazing weekend of college football. This is what we needed, right? Like just all weekend too. Like Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, even Sunday night, we got games. Still got what is it? Uh, Louisville, Ole Miss tomorrow night. So mm. that's nothing like not the sexiest game, but Monday night, you guarantee I'll be uh, tuned into some college football. But yeah. Just an amazing weekend of college football. It's just nice to have it back. Full crowds, like, love it. It was great. Um, how did your How did you organize your weekend, Matt? How did you How did you keep up with everything? How did How did it go for you? Um, it was pretty solid. I feel like last last year I had a conversation with Tori. It was just like last year I feel like we were lackluster. We didn't come ready to play every week. This This year I'm like I'm showering early getting everything out of the way before everything starts like so i'm glued to the tv from from noon on and i successfully achieved that this weekend so i was um i feel like it's just entertaining games in every uh in every block really i mean other than my alabama miami but it's like you know you still want to see how alabama's you would you just want to keep up with the best team in the country right so but yeah i feel like there was just good games sprinkled all throughout the uh all throughout the weekend what about what about yourself i did the same thing and I, I record everything anyway so that's like one of the cool things so i just i record all the stuff i need to see and i'll watch it back like i'm probably gonna go back and watch something tonight that i still have in the dvr that i wasn't able to finish but um i just watch things differently i mean i watched um wisconsin penn state live as you know you, you love to to cite that i'm a big big 10 guy big Mac. big 10 guy yeah so i had to watch that good football um watch virginia tech unc super late i have a different perspective than i think a lot of other people seem to have based on what i've listened to and read early on on that game but no it's great i mean it's just been uh it's been neatly organized there's a lot i'm glad we're not doing this thursday friday saturday sunday monday business every week but it is a fun way to to start things off i was able to watch georgia clemson with the family on saturday it was also just nice not to have tennessee on the weekend like to just have it its own night and have like a tennessee night on thursdays was actually delightful it gives you something to do on on thursdays a little bit different shake things up and i don't have to like stress about the balls at all on saturday See, i love the thursday night like yeah the thursday night college football games like you don't need to do it thursday friday saturday sunday or anything but like mm-hmm. We should have one solid game every Thursday. Not like a marquee game or anything, but like a solid game every Thursday night, I feel like just makes the college football schedule just so much more satisfying. Because like Central Florida, Boise State, it's like that was a quality game. It's like if that game's played at six o'clock on Saturday, it's like I'm not watching that game. You know, there's just, it's competing with so many other things. Like I'll keep track of it, but like I was fully invested in that game, right? So like same with like a, with North Carolina, Virginia Tech. Like, I'd like to keep up with that game. But um, with it being its only game uh, on Friday night, it was it was pretty perfect. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, before we get started with some quick news items and our Pick'em recap, um, i just like to remind you guys that you can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. Follow myself at Chase double underscore Thomas. Go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com for links to all of these very episodes. We do this daily on this feed. Go subscribe to SportsRenaissanceMan.substack.com. If you want to read my work, um, you can do that every single day as well. Support us on Patreon by going to Patreon.com slash ChaseThomasWriter. That helps a lot. And then... If you like listening to Matt Green and myself uh, on this very feed twice a week now because the college football season is kicking back off or has begun once again, which is absolutely delightful, please uh, leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts if you are indeed an Apple Podcast listener, as it does really help. And email us with any college football questions that you might have at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Com. Matt Green, UConn lost again <laughs> in embarrassing fashion, and uh, UConn is moving on. Randy Edsel, uh, he came back after a previous stint at UConn. Um, he is retiring after this season. What do you make of it? Yeah, I feel like uh, that lost the Holy Cross. <laughs> <laughs> that uh that pretty much tells you what direction the program is headed in so uh yeah can't really blame him there you really can't um it it's wild and you know i yukon is in a weird spot because like they're it's so strange that they're independent right like they're just kind of floating i don't really know how you fix that program like it's just we talk about we joke about kansas right like what kind of state they're in and how do you fix that but like kansas they won a game hey they stormed the field shout out to the jayhawks faithful for for doing that after their their win in lance leopold's debut um they're on the i'm not saying their things are fixed in kansas but it's not as dire and i never thought it was as dire as like things are uconn uconn man i i don't know at least you're in the big 12 at kansas and at least you have some recent ish history of success basically uconn is just like remember donald brown in like 2006 that colts yeah. running back he went here and then that's dan orlovsky orlovsky yeah that's what i was gonna say um yeah it's like they they had a solid like program built there i think they went to a fiesta bowl right one year like they were like kind of you know becoming a relevant program am i thinking it am i did they go to that? fiesta yeah, bowl yeah, yeah. I was about to say, you made me question it when you didn't say anything. Back in 2010, they went to the Fiesta Bowl. That was a Donald uh, Brown year then. Let me see. Lost to Oklahoma, 48-20. Let me see. They went 8-5 uh, and five that no, year. Jordan Todman, which I think that guy played in the NFL, had 1,600 yards rushing that year. But uh, Oh. Like they, they built like a solid program there, and then I feel like the fate, like, what you got? Uh, 2007 to 2010, nine wins, eight wins, eight wins, eight wins, like, they had become respectable, but you know what happened right after that, right? What happened? 2011, I think, was when it was announced, but in 2013 is when it went into place. The ACC expansion. Right. Like, that's what destroyed UConn football. Like, they were that one Big East school that was left out, essentially. It's like they took, you know, they went back. Uh, if you go back a few years, obviously, they took Boston College, Miami, Virginia Tech from the ACC, and then they followed up and take wow. Pittsburgh and Syracuse from the ACC. It's like essentially every Big East program that didn't play, uh, that does play football, 
went to the ACC outside of what South Florida and UConn. So like, it seems like they were just that kind of put them in, you know, just this no man's land of you know who who are we? Who do we play? Like this just UConn football has just been a downward spiral ever since. What an amazing staff! Do you know who who his OC and DC were that year? Oh, I don't. Joe Moorhead was Randy Etzel's OC. Okay. DC Todd Orlando. Wow. So that makes sense. That's wild. He was hoping he could uh, pull a a Shiano and and resurrect the glory days, but um, it it, it looks a little bit more difficult at UConn. Oh, it's obviously difficult for Rutgers too, but yeah, not not great. Man. Um, Big 12 expansion. It's coming this week. It looks like it looks like we're going to get the four teams putting their name in and there's a vote coming. It looks like immediately after Houston, BYU, UCF, and um, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. What do you what do you make of it? Would you keep going? Because that's something I thought about where I saw this and I was like, just add more. What are you doing? Just gobble up everybody that you think you might want. This is the time to do it. Just get everyone you can now. Why would you not want to go super conference? But I mean, like, why would you not still just add SMU and Memphis? Like, I don't just keep adding um even See, memphis y- was the one i thought mm. about that seemed to kind of be like the team that was borderline that could have been included in that but houston is obviously you know way bigger market than memphis mm. and then if you're going to take two more teams like i think that's a legitimate you know idea because you know you're not one of the power five conferences really it's like just just get them with uh with the quantity you know Eventually, right if we get enough teams we'll have some good teams but like yeah, go Boise hunting. If you got Boise, exactly. Boise and Memphis, I feel like would kind of round out a pretty solid conference. Maybe even Nevada after what we saw this weekend. Carson Strong making the case um, for the Nevada Wolfpack who took down a Man, this was just, this was an amazing weekend for the Big Sky. It was an amazing weekend for a lot of lower programs. Um, I'm sure you're giddy to talk uh, briefly about Georgia Tech and the way they lost at home. Um, oh man yeah I need to go ahead and just I had a hot take on this podcast I don't know about 12 months ago mm -hmm. maybe longer that Georgia Tech would be the next ACC team next team not named Clemson to win the ACC you did make this I remember this and you know I was I wasn't thinking anytime soon like I'm thinking Clemson is at least going to win it the next five six years so Tech has some time but like there's no progress like it's, it's nothing like tangible to point to and then who was it that they lost to again? Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois. Like, you just can't lose those games and convince your program, convince your fan base, and just convince anyone, recruits, that you're going in the right direction. Like, you had to win some of like those kind of games because obviously you have Georgia at a conference, you have an ACC schedule. Like, the wins are the wins are going to be tough to come by. You're going to play a lot of teams that are better than Northern Illinois. That's for sure. Yeah, I so, mean, I, I don't. I, I might have just had to take that hot take off the table. I don't. I don't see Georgia Tech build anything really. No, I mean, I have a lot more uh, takes on Georgia Tech and where they're at because I think I, I spoke about it a little bit. But I'll save it. I'll save the Georgia Tech stuff. Um, last thing, last news item before we get into this weekend's games. Lane Kiffin uh, has COVID and will not be coaching tomorrow night uh, against Louisville. Uh, what do you make of this? And are you now more concerned about the Rebels 
against the Cardinals. Yeah, you have to be right. I mean, just when, like, when Nick Saban was gonna was potentially gonna miss the Georgia game last year. Obviously, he ended up getting a, a negative test before kickoff, so he was cleared. But it's like he's such a CEO that you felt like, well, Alabama's still gonna be okay without him. Like, you know, all the work has been done Monday through Friday. Like, you know, they know what to do on Saturday, but. With someone like Lane Kiffin that's just so in control of the play calling, the offense, just the, the entire feel of the game, like, oh, man, you have to feel worse about Ole Miss's chances now. I mean, Louisville's not a, you know, a world beater by any means, but this is, this is a quality football game. Like, this is, a, this is not a game that you want to be missing your, your head coach and play caller. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we're going to pause real quick, Mad Green, to hear from some sponsors, and then we'll be right back to get into some, to some action. All right, we are back on the first edition of this fall's college football recap series that we will be doing every Sunday on this very feed. Uh, preview shows come out later this week, but we will be coming back and, you know, we won't have games like this going late into the night like Florida State and Notre Dame on a Sunday night to to worry about. But um, look out for this at the end of your weekends uh, every week going forward for the rest of this college football season. Matt, I have my list going through our pick and recap. Do you have our picks in front of you? I do have my picks, our picks in front of me. Okay. Have you already looked at how we did before? We- do you, yeah. Do you want to go through the win-loss record? It was uh, it was not a great week for us against the spread. I didn't think so. I did not think it was a great week. But I think we want, we picked a lot right. We just didn't get the spread right a lot. Am I misremembering some, that? Some more than others. Oh, no. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> but, yeah. we, we uh, You want to get into it right now? Well, let's go through it. Well, Because I have them in order um, for the pick them, and we can just go through what we did, and then uh, for each one. So... Georgia, Clemson, we have to start here, Matt Green. Georgia 10, Clemson 3. How did we do? Well, I got the dub against the spread and overall, and you got the loss against <laughs> the spread and overall in that one. Clemson came in as a three-point favorite, and the dogs got the win. And, you know, I'm just wondering if uh, we want to, you know, make set this platform for you to, you know, apologize to Kirby Smart or something, you know, just – just how dismissive you were of Georgia's chances to win this game. That's not true. I wasn't dismissive. No? I wasn't dismissive. Like, they had a shot. Like, obviously, Georgia had a shot. What I was right about was JT. He was not good. Um, DJ Ukulehi was not good either. Both quarterbacks are running for their life. But uh, JT had a little bit more time. Um, the running game was better for Georgia late. Obviously, there's a mere white run and getting Kendall Milton in there, James Cook. But, like... I, I don't know. Like I didn't like I have a lot of thoughts on this game. I don't think Georgia came out of this looking as great um as other Georgia fans might be might be thumping their chests about. Like the defense is legit. The defensive line is legit. The front seven is legit. Um I don't think their secondary was all that great. I don't think DJ got a lot of chances to pick apart the secondary. Obviously the pick six was the difference in the game, but for my watching and my vantage point I thought Clemson not being able to run the ball, DJ not having any time. The pressures in this game were insane. Having Will Shipley not be a guy who can run out the middle, like just not really having a back that can keep him honest 
was a problem. Um, the offensive line at Clemson in general, I think is going to be a problem to monitor all season. What's crazy, and I make this note um, in my notes, just all these. So the top three teams in the ACC coming into this year, do you know what they all three have in common, Matt Green? They all put up an L in week one. That's true, but what else? Um, I don't know. You're saying North Carolina, Clemson, and what, Miami? Yes. Uh, what, what else is that? Their offensive lines were awful. All three, awful. North Carolina could not protect Sam Howell to save their life against Virginia Tech. Miami did, like Miami, just got destroyed by Alabama's defensive line. And then Clemson's offensive line got destroyed by Georgia's. Like, the top three teams in the ACC all have horrible offensive lines. We knew North Carolina did. Like, that was one of the dumber broadcasts. So, like, that broadcast team was atrocious on Friday night. Like, Fox is so much better. Their production is so much better than ESPN. It's it's unreal. Um, I mean, the Gus Johnson, Joel Clapp broadcast was sensational at the noon hour <laughs> on Saturday. But like Andre Ware and I forgot who the other person was on this call, but it was it was really bad. And the vid, like it was just a bad st- it, I, I don't want to go into too much detail, about <laughs> that, but it was just not it was not good. And yeah. they were talking about the offensive line in North Carolina. They return everyone like they did return everybody. But North Carolina's offensive line was bad last year. So they returned a bunch of bad players <laughs> that didn't get better. And Sam Howell was getting happy feet. And um, dude was getting hit a bunch. And obviously, we saw what happened in Miami. He had no chances. And then you saw with DJ Ukulele. Like, he didn't have any chances in that game. And I don't know. I, I thought it was those two teams are very close. I thought the difference was Georgia's defensive line versus Clemson's offensive line. But I also, I don't think you should be excited about this offense. They have an identity question. I think Georgia has real problems at receiver. They have real problems with JT and the receiving options that he has. We'll see what happens with Darnell Washington. Gilbert being gone. Pickens not being available is very glaringly obvious for them. Like, they are weirdly thin at playmakers out wide. And I am just... Well, I mean, it's not weirdly thin. I mean, you talk about injuries. Well, that's what know, I'm saying. Like, weirdly Washington. thin for and Georgia. And also, Kyrus Jackson didn't play, didn't play wide receiver in this game. Like, right. he, he caught a bunch of fair catches and punts. But it's like, you talk about three of the top four receivers were missing for this game and the best tight end, which, well, the starting tight end, not even sure he's the best tight end with what Brock Bowers, uh, the true freshman, did on Saturday. But I think this game went, like, obviously I didn't predict 10 to 3, but this game went so almost exactly how I thought it was going to go. Like, both of these defenses were dominant. Mm-hmm. But my my number one prediction was both these defenses are dominant. These are the two best defensive lines in college football. And I think Georgia is definitely a beneficiary of Tyler Davis not playing in this game. But my prediction was that Georgia would be able to roll, run the ball some, and Clemson wouldn't be able to do it at all. And that's exactly how it played out. Like, the two rushing yards as a team, but the, the running backs, obviously sacks are involved. The running backs had nine carries for 24 yards. Like, they couldn't do anything on the ground essentially abandoned the running game like this Georgia defensive front is rowdy and while they definitely were the team the ones that you know the catalyst for the defense like I don't think you're giving the secondary enough credit like you just look at a lot of those plays DJ Uyunglele going through his reads like people weren't open like no, there was nobody open and there's like the defensive line was getting after it but there was some coverage sacks in there too like just Seven sacks, like Kirk Kerbstreit said it multiple times, like it was 10 to 3, but it felt like 30 to 3. It felt like Georgia was dominating that game. But like you said, offensively, they weren't able to do much. But Georgia's also not going to face another defense like this for the next 12 weeks. Like 
Georgia's going to – like, Clemson's going to be by far the best defense Georgia faces in the regular season. Like, you want to talk about Alabama, like, yeah, Alabama may have looked more impressive than Georgia. But, you know, that's Miami. Like, I don't, I'm not going to draw a bunch of conclusions that are a blowout win against Miami. Like, North Carolina hung, like, 60 on Miami last year. Like, they're, they're not the measuring stick of what a college football contender looks like. But I think if you just look at Georgia, like, the secondary – like, Clemson had 14 – first downs in this entire game six in the first half eight in the second half four of those 14 first downs were penalties like the pass interference was Clemson's best offensive play like that was and there were some questionable pass interferences in both sides of this game I feel like they weren't letting guys you know play at all really with their hands like I I think Clemson might not not, might not get a first down in the first half if it's not some for some of those uh pass interferences like Georgia's defense was just so suffocating. Like, this is my number one takeaway from the weekend was the defense is not dead. Like, we know we all love the sexy offenses, 2019, 2020. We saw huge point totals put up. But I think with the the absence of crowds, the absence of spring football last year, I think defense is what suffered more than anything else. Like, you saw Penn State. You saw the uh, Penn State-Wisconsin game. Like, there was some great defense play. And also, I want to just, as a side point, there's this uh, notion that there's hypocritical SEC fans out there that watch Penn State-Wisconsin. They think, oh, this is garbage. Then they watch Clemson-Georgia play or, like, LSU-Alabama, the 9-6 game a few years ago, and they say, oh, these are just great defenses. I want to be on the record. I watched, Clem- uh, I watched almost every snap of, Ohio- of Penn State-Wisconsin this Saturday, and I was, like, thoroughly entertained. I even said out loud, I was like, this is a great college football game. Like, people don't appreciate defense the way they once did. It's like, Kirby Smart, yeah, the criticism he'll get after this Georgia win is, oh, the offense didn't do anything. Yeah, Georgia's got a great defense, but they got to do something about the offense. As if the great defense isn't 100% reflective of Kirby Smart's coaching ability, right? Like, that is his shit. Like, the defense, like, that's his jam. And you saw it. Like, Georgia was dominant. Like, Clemson was was great defensively, but they also got one sack on on JT Daniels. Granted, I think that was, you know, out of design because he was throwing the ball a second or two every time. He was throwing it immediately because I think they were worried about Georgia's ability to block Clemson up front. But Clemson should have also been worried about Georgia's uh, being able to block Georgia up front. And they continued to try to throw downfield, and DJ never had enough time. And you saw one of my biggest, um, you know, predictions about this game was Georgia's ability to tackle. Like Clemson can do that short stuff and and break plays against a lot of teams, but this Georgia defense, this is one of the best tackling defenses in the country. Like you can't throw behind the line of scrimmage and and, com- and expect to consistently move the ball. Like while Georgia's offense put up three points in this game. They consistently moved the ball way more than Clemson. Like it seemed like half of Clemson's drives on the day were just uncompetitive three and outs. Like, I mean, you think about the two. Like Georgia made the first huge mistake in the game and gave the uh, on that punt return and gave Clemson the ball at midfield, and the result in that is a pick six. The other interception they threw gave the Clemson the ball inside the thirty, and that led to three points. Like. Clemson was just unable to do anything against Georgia, and I, you have to just take your hat off to this Georgia defense, just absolutely just running around with their head on fire. Like I just, this is the best defense in college football, and I think it's and I think it's clear. Like I think Georgia 
definitely has, you know, has to improve offensively. But, you know, just getting guys healthy, getting everybody back, I think Georgia was worried about one thing coming into this week, and it was going 1-0. and I think the rest of the season, you're, you're going to see Georgia open it up. They're, there's just not going to be, you know, obviously the questions are going to come when they play Alabama, if they, if they get to the college football playoff, like how do they hang with those teams? But the other 11 teams on this game, on this team schedule, like Georgia's going to score 30, 40 points a game. Like it's, they're, they're going to be able to run the ball on everyone they play. JT Daniels receivers are going to come back. They're, they're going to be better. They're not going to have a team that's capable of just creating pressure like Clemson did. So um, yeah, I mean, Georgia definitely has room for improvement, but I mean, to be anything other than ecstatic if you're a Georgia fan, I think it's like just being a Debbie Downer, honestly. But don't you think it's fair to question like what this offense looks like? Like, are they going to be able to get enough continuity with everyone coming in and out, finding the right balance between run pass? Like, I think there are real questions about Todd Lockett. who's going to challenge them? That's not That's saying. true. Alabama? That is... Like, yeah, we can talk about Alabama. I think Kentucky like will challenge them a little bit. I think Kentucky will push them. I think that defense is going to be legit and their offense looks a little bit improved. We'll get to Kentucky, but um, Florida, I think will challenge them. And I know you have some, some Florida takes, but um, I don't know. I, like you said though, and this is something that I'd mentioned on this podcast previously is that like this game in Florida and maybe, maybe, maybe Kentucky are their only test before Bama and Atlanta potentially like there's yeah, without a doubt. like it's a, there's a sharp drop off in the second yes. toughest game of Georgia's schedule like maybe Missouri maybe Kentucky you know maybe are you really ma- you you really are not nervous at all about Florida are you Matt Green no I'm saying there's a hard drop off from the second toughest game oh, okay toughest. I got you like, yeah Florida's the clear second toughest okay game. I'm saying after that it's like it's your guess like yeah people want to talk about Kentucky but like I don't know just as a Georgia fan like Kentucky doesn't scare Georgia. Like that 2018 team was the best team they ever had. What were they like seven and one, eight and one to start the year? Played in Lexington and like from the jump, Georgia just dominated that game. Like that's you know that's three years ago, but like Kentucky's not scaring any Georgia fans. Like Florida, Florida has talent. Like that's that's going to be a team that can challenge them. But like you know, I don't I don't see like I'm, I'm honestly I kind of I think I'm higher on Missouri than 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 you are but like after seeing them on saturday like they didn't look impressive either so i think georgia's got a lot of tune-up games you know uh on their way to you know hopefully being ready to play alabama in the sc championship game assuming they take care of florida yeah and we're just penciling in alabama and i think AM looked really good and we still have to wait that, and see with yeah. old miss I, I don't it's a little premature um i think we can probably cancel arkansas uh, being down to rice at the half but um outside of that i think there's still a lot a lot of football to be played Matt i Green. feel like people's people's love for sam Pittman has has uh blurred their vision on what to expect from arkansas it's like yeah he's a likable guy but um you know it's arkansas they're not they're not winning too much this year i'm telling you the move is the big 12 for them i don't know why they don't do it um i guess money no exactly yeah, yeah dollars and cents there you go um next up ucf 36 boise 31 mac green how do we do ah ucf man had that two-point conversion that's what uh that's what cost us the five and a half point line they ended up only winning by five um so in this one you took boise state with the points you got that right but you took them also to win the game and that was wrong 
I took UCF to win and cover, and they did not cover, but they get, did get the dub. I um I feel like Central Florida was clearly the better team in this game. Um, you know that not calling it fluky because it's a play they made, the hundred yard pick six. But you know, Central Florida just they dominated possession like. 573 yards to 283 yards like they were clearly moving it all over them that that pick six really put them in a hole but um after that you really saw how much better they were i mean what was it um from that point moving forward they were down 21-0 right and from that point on you know outscored boise state 36 to 10 so i think they were clearly the better team and um just bummed they didn't cover yeah gabriel played a lot better um a lot of grit from UCF to come back from 21 down. Um, questions about Boise, but I thought this this was one of the more fun games of the, the last few days. So this was fun. I like that these two teams played, and um, I would like to see it again. Um, this could have been a group of five national title game right here. Right? This needs to be a, an eight, a, a potential Big 12 championship, right? Yeah. <laughs> I agree. That's, that's going to be crazy. You see UCF and Cincinnati in the Big 12 championship five years from now? That's wow. going to look weird. Um, Ohio State, 45. Minnesota, 31. Matt Green, how do we do? This is our one push. So mm. this is a 14-point spread. We actually both we both took Ohio State to win and uh, for Minnesota to cover the 14-point spread. And so this is our one push. Not to toot my own horn, but I feel like I kind of called this game perfectly from mm. From the half, I said it felt like a you know seventeen seventeen halftime type game that Ohio State pulls away, and uh, Minnesota was actually winning. Was it fourteen ten at the half? And then C.J. Stroud, like like we kind of predicted, he wasn't you know he wasn't settled in from from the jump. He kind of you know struggled early through the interception and that allowed Minnesota to hang around. I'm a little worried about Ohio State and how much Minnesota was able to run the ball on them. You know, Ibrahim, it's, you know, arguably the best running back in the Big Ten, not on Ohio State's team, but so, you know, they might not face another rushing attack like that all year, but these receivers are just so good. I'm honestly not even convinced that C.J. Stroud really settled in as much as, like, the receivers just, like, when you're that open, you just, it's not, it's not very difficult to throw the ball to, you know, like, they just... They did a lot of the heavy lifting, um, whether it was Travion Henderson with that uh, 70-yard touchdown, the run after the catch, Chris Olave with a run after the catch, or just Garrett Wilson just just making that safety look foolish, honestly. Like, I've never seen that, that much space created on just, like, a normal post route. And it was just an easy pitch and catch. And um, But that's what you're going to see from Ohio State. Like, these receivers, these weapons they have, they're going to make C.J. Stroud's job so easy. Like, so... You know, there's a lot of time that for Ohio State uh, between now and the college football playoff, like we all kind of think they're going to be. So I'm, I'm curious to see how C.J. Stroud, you know, kind of the strides he takes from now and then. Yeah, I think that's one of those things where people are going to point to that. But it's like, yeah, that's part of Ohio State. He can't help that. And that's a good thing to have this elite playmaker talent around a new quarterback. Like that's how you keep this thing humming. Like that's that's a good thing. That's that's a positive oh, development. A I guess I'm just responding more in like the CJ Stroud Heisman talk, you know. That's a little like bit pure. Third yeah. highest odds. It's like, well, let's just relax a little bit. Like even his numbers at the end of the day, like, you know, thirteen for twenty two, four touchdowns, one pick. Like, you know, super impressive looking numbers, but 
you know, let's not let's not act like he was just throwing it all around the field. So who who disagrees in your house? Is that Zeus or Maddox who's very much out on your your perspective? Oh man, here? that's Zeus. You can hear him, huh? That's that's a loud one for sure. <laughs> that it had to be like, Zeus. You can see Jay throughout time, okay? <laughs> it's his first game. But no, you, I thought I think you saw Master Teague. They kind of went away from. Him. He only got sixty car- uh, six carries in this game. Like Mayan Williams had the long touchdown run, and Travion Henderson had the long uh, reception. Like it, it's tough. It's a dog eat dog world, right? It's a cutthroat world of this recruiting and everything. But um, you know, Master Teague's had a solid Ohio State career, but he's going to get passed by guys younger and better. Absolutely. Um, UNC ten. Virginia Tech 17, I watched this whole game. Um, It was a stunner, but it was a stunner for a different reason because of how this game went last year and what we thought going in. um, The way Virginia Tech won this game was pretty crazy. Their offense stunk. Their defense was legit. Justin Hamilton um, is an elite defensive coordinator that no one's talking about right now. But somehow he was getting pressured all night. You're not going to believe this, Matt Green. But the North Carolina Tar Heels missed their two starting running backs from last year. Ty Chandler, someone I have a lot of experience with, was not up to snuff on Friday night. Um, the, uh, hey, now, you've given a lot of grief to Ty Chandler. I feel like he had a quality game. He was Tim fine. Perry, 66 yards. He was, yeah, he's fine. Yeah, I mean, he's not, um, he's he's not, not either of the guys they had last year. But, yeah, uh, Williams. Is it, what is it, Jamonte Carter. Williams? Yeah, Jamonte Williams, Michael mm-hmm. Carter. But yeah, Josh Downs, North Gwinnett alum, mm-hmm. getting in on uh, the playmaking. But uh, yeah, I just more than um, more than really predicting North Carolina to win this game. I felt like they just had to win this game. Like I, I think we both talked; we weren't really confident about them going in. But it was just like if you're a preseason top ten, like you got to win this game. Like you yeah. have to go in. You know, going into Blacksburg's not easy, but you had to win this game, and. I think there was I think there was like five home dogs on our slate, and the only one we took was the one that uh, that didn't get it done. But uh, oh, we'll get to them. I'm very upset. I'm I'm very upset <laughs> about yeah, that Virginia game. Virginia Tech, you know, home dog. I just yeah, Sam Howell. It's it's hard to put it all on him, but you know, it wasn't the best performance. Is combination of the offensive line, the running backs, the wide receivers don't look as good, and yeah, it's just it's. Oh man, it's just got to be so, uh, you know, just devastating to have the expectations that North Carolina have. Like maybe you're the team that can, you know, unseat Clemson and get in the college football playoff, and you go lose to Virginia Tech week one. Like, you know, not that Virginia Tech couldn't turn out to be, you know, one of the better teams in the ACC, but as the preseason number ten team, like you're supposed to be above this. Yeah, I, I agree. This was another big loser in this situation is Clemson. Like not to. This is not Clemson's fault. It's not like they're uh, like they're not they're responsible for holding up the rest of the ACC. But Miami getting beaten the way they did, uh, Florida State going down tonight to Notre Dame, and then um, I mean Georgia Tech going down to Northern Illinois, and then you have um, North Carolina going down to Vatech. Like I think this it's going to be even if they run the table and they go eleven and one. And win the ACC. I, I'm just concerned for them that they're already in just a super, super hard hole, like just large hole for exactly. them to get out. Of, right. And that's what I was saying to the people that were, you know, kind of downplaying the importance of Georgia Clemson. Like, you know, the loser of this game can easily get to the playoff. It's like, while that is true, 
there's just hard it's hard to find some good data points for for Clemson to you know get a tiebreaker over one of these really good teams at the end of the day like you know if, if Georgia loses if Georgia's a one loss team losing the SEC championship to Alabama well undefeated but then loses as their first loss like you're obviously going to put Georgia in because of the head-to-head and then when you're looking at you know potentially Oklahoma potentially Ohio State like who are Clemson's good wins that are going to have people feeling they're definitively better than either of those two schools? Like, I think that's why Saturday's game was so important to Clemson. And yeah, I mean, Miami, I'm not, I feel like people are just hating on Miami so much this weekend. I'm just like Ohio state lost like that in the national championship to Alabama. Like let's not, well, Miami could still be like a solid ACC team, but to see North Carolina go down to Virginia tech, like that, that was one of the things that Clemson was relying on. Like you had to have some of those, you know, sleeper ACC teams, you know, show some signs of life. And you know, Florida State looks looked very solid in their in their close loss to Notre Dame. But you know, like, is that going to be the second best team in this conference? Like, I I kind of doubt it. So yeah, I think Clemson, like you said, they kind of were a, a big loser just from the ACC taking such a hit. And that's not their fault, but at the end of the day, when you're comparing teams, like you go with those those good wins on the schedule, and it's going to be tough to find them. Yeah, I, I, I would be nervous if I was a Clemson fan at the moment. Um, Penn State, 16, Wisconsin, 10. Matt Green, stop me if you've heard this before. Wisconsin's got a quarterback problem. Yeah, they. Um, I feel like Graham Mertz looked okay at times, but you know, oh, disagree. He never looked okay. Watch this whole game start to finish, Matt Green. <laughs> he. I mean, they're, they're he fumbled three handoffs, three handoffs yeah. in this game. He was objectively bad. He missed a lot of dudes. He he had, like Davis had this really good cut uh, late in the game that was really uh, that kept the drive alive. Like he was finding guys like Ferguson. Like they were bailing him out. Like he was getting That's bailed out a bunch. Fair. They were they were definitely making some plays, but Wisconsin's offense in general was was moving the ball. Like just, mm-hmm. that was yeah, the running game, though. That was not different. Graham Mertz. That was the running yeah, game, the two headed monster of Gareda and three, mm. three trips to the red zone where you come away with zero points in a game yes. that you lose by six. And it's like that's and I think the last one I'm not even including that as a red zone trip, right? They didn't even get all the way to the red zone when they threw that last pick. But no, um, I don't think so. Yeah, but yeah, it's um. I feel like we both thought Penn State uh, was the better team. I think our Kirk Herbstreit kind of echoed the same thing. Like, I felt like Penn State's going to be the better team this year, but week one at Camp Randall, like, I felt like Wisconsin was going to get it done. But, you know, the the turnovers, you just can't lose the turnover battle like that and um, expect to get the win. I, it, it, I just, I struggle with whether or not, like, Britt Pry was great. So one of the things about this broadcast team they kept talking about was just how elite the defensive game planning was here there was a lot of good stunts and jim leonard is obviously an elite defensive coordinator brent prize an elite defensive coordinator for penn state but like i think part of it was just bad quarterback play like that was one of those where it's like it just because it's low scoring does not mean the defenses are both like this was not the georgia clemson situation where that was objectively more of a defensive uh masterpiece um whereas this game was more ineptitude with the quarterback position because i think sean clifford is very much not good he had a couple like the difference was the explosive play so he found Dotson on some some big time throws he was wide open and Kane's going to be a dude at the running back spot like they've got skill position guys I think they have more talent than Wisconsin and the talent really won out in this game but like 
man, Sean Clifford was missing a bunch. And Sean Clifford's got happy feet in there. He's not the most accurate guy. He, I just, I don't think he's the answer there. I, I think he's going to cost him at least one or two games. And I think Penn State's defense is legit. I think they have the playmakers to make all this work and to have a special 10 and 2, 11 and 1 season. But I do not trust Sean Clifford anymore after this win. It was a big win. It was the first time James Franklin, since being at Penn State, beat a top, uh, I think it was top 15 team on the road. He was 0 12 previously, I want to say. So yeah, good. that's my biggest yeah. thing is I feel like it's a quality win, you know? So, like, Clifford didn't play great, but mm-hmm. open the season at Wisconsin, like, I feel like the week, like, those road games week one are tougher because they're week one. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, Notre Dame going to Florida State week eight, you know, I don't feel like it's that dangerous of an environment. LSU going at UCLA week eight, like, I don't feel like it's that, you know, they can probably manage that. But something about opening the season on the road like that just – like the environment's different the the season opener especially this year fans have just been chomping at the bit to get back in there there's just something to, to be said about the that road atmosphere and, and for penn state to get a win like like i feel like they've been in the same boat as georgia like you know you can talk about our shortcomings all you want but this was a great win and and no one's gonna rain on that parade for them yeah for sure hey you live to find another day um i think Wisconsin it's just uh I don't know I am a little concerned and Graham Mertz should be better than what we saw but it's a long season we'll see if he bounces back um Alabama 14 Miami 13 how did we do Matt Green oh man I'm embarrassed about this one oh also Wisconsin we both picked Wisconsin to win and cover and yeah both missed that I'm embarrassed I'll admit it Picking against Alabama in the spread, I don't know what I was doing. Like, I feel like I, I even talked out loud, like, oh, but they're going to pull away at the end. Yeah, if they pull away, they're going to win by more than 18 and a half. Bad call by me. We both obviously picked Alabama to win, but uh, you picked Alabama to cover. Or you were correct, and I was incorrect, sir. You love to see it. What more can we say about this <laughs> game? Bryce Young looked amazing. Alabama's defense looks better than they did even last year. Um the defensive line, it's going to be a problem in a good way for the Crimson Tide. And Miami, I mean, there were some bad looks. Like the, the funniest part of the weekend for a lot of people, did you see them having to put the turnover chain away after that call got reversed? Oh, man. that Yeah, and then it kind of bared the question. It's like, well, why are you even bringing down the turnover chain <laughs> down 27-0 to begin with? What did you think about that call, by the way? Like the overturning that fumble, mm. I feel like that shocked everybody. But I, I kind of think they got it right. It was such a weird looking play. Like the the guy kind of recovered it, but it was in his legs, and mm-hmm. then Alabama all of a sudden had the ball. Like I feel like uh, Manny Diaz was definitely rattled in this game. I think there's uh there's no question about that. But um, you know, I feel like the people just make drawing huge conclusions from this game. I I are just kind of confusing me. Like. Bryce Young looked great. You know, Alabama looked like Alabama. These, you know, you just see new guys, Jameson Williams coming in. I mean, did he not look like Devontae Smith running down the sideline? It it almost looked like the exact same roster of players. But this is Miami. So let's not, like, I expect Bryce Young to just fall out on Miami. And this, this, this Alabama defense may have been the most impressive part about their performance. They just got after the quarterback. Like, they, they look like a, a throwback from five, six years ago, the way Alabama was playing defense. So I, um, 
Alabama was definitely impressive, but I don't, I wouldn't say I learned anything about Bryce Young from yeah. watching him just pick apart Miami's secondary. Like, and Bubba Bolden obviously got the early ejection, which I feel like we got to do something about targeting in the, in college football. It's just to eject a guy for a play like that is just absolutely absurd. Like, you know, call a penalty if you want, but we need to figure out what's in a you know, flagrant one, flagrant two type thing. What's worth ejecting a guy from the game? It's a dirty play. There's no room for that. And what's just a penalty and gives a team a first down. So not that that's the reason Miami lost by 30 points, but um, yeah, Alabama just looked dominant. I'm um, I'm not sure anyone's going to challenge. I'm, I'm waiting for the next challenge that they have against, you know, maybe it's Florida, maybe it's Texas A&M. Just to, I think then we're going to learn something about Alabama. That's that's fair. Um, one of the two teams I was right about in the Big Ten West, where I was like, I think they're gonna they're gonna be a serious problem. It was Wisconsin and Iowa. I believed in them both, had them both. I'm in a great year. I think I ended up picking Wisconsin to win the West in our preview series. But I was like, it would not surprise me if Iowa won it. Iowa thirty four, IU six. Who, buddy? This Iowa defense. Something else. Italy, what they do in offense with the Wildcats, awesome. Like, Iowa's offense is weirdly fun, um, especially because they are incapable of developing a good quarterback. Spencer Petras is still very much not good, but it doesn't seem to matter as they just steamroll a good IU team and make Michael Penix Jr. look silly in this one. Um, man, brutal, brutal beatdown. Tom Allen Hoosiers. How do we do? Oh, we both got this one. I don't think either of us saw this being a uh, blowout by any means, but Iowa was a, what, a three-point favorite, and mm. they covered, so they covered big. But what's interesting is I feel like you you hear a lot about, I feel like specifically in the Big Ten, I feel like I heard this a lot, uh, this common phrase this weekend. It was like, just throw out what happened in 2020, right? Like, 2020 was a weird year. Like, yeah. You know, Penn State going four and five. And I feel like, you know, maybe it's talking up, you know, the TV matchup that, that we got on on hand. But you heard a lot of people say that about Minnesota, about uh, teams like Penn State, Wisconsin. But you don't hear it said about the positive results from 2020, right? Like, you only hear it about the negative. But maybe Indiana wasn't as good as we thought in 2020. Like, you know, Penix Jr. is coming off a uh, an injury, but... Like, Iowa just owned them. Like, they just dominated this game just in all facets, really. And I wonder if too much was made of that hot start that Indiana got off to last year and and not enough was made of, you know, who they were necessarily doing that against. So I was not, you know, I was kind of one of the naysayers on Indiana, you know, coming into the year. And I didn't, I'm not going to pretend to predict to have predicted this, but um, yeah, I, I really wonder you know, how these two teams are going to shake out moving forward. Cause, cause Iowa looked, looked very good. Iowa's legit. I think, uh, I think Iowa's going to be pretty solid for the foreseeable future would be. And shout out to, uh, Tyler Goodson, another North Gwinnett alum out there, 19 for 99, a touchdown. And shout out to the North Gwinnett Bulldogs for getting an actual Bulldog mascot. Oh yeah. I saw that. Got to respect that. Good stuff. I'm, I'm about it. Um, Louisiana, 18, Texas, 38, Hudson card. Uh, he looked pretty good 
in his Texas debut. What do you what do you make of it, and how do we do? Well, um, this is one that we both missed uh, against mm. the spread. Uh, Texas was an eight point favorite. We both thought Texas would get the win, but uh, the raging Cajuns would keep it close. That was not the case. Um, and you know, I think a lot of people put teams like Texas on upset alert, and then when they win by three touchdowns, it's like, well, oh, that was yeah, that was Louisiana as a Sun Belt team, you know. But this is a quality team, and like we said, first game of the season. This is a quality opponent. This isn't playing, you know, uh, Mercer or something, some Division Two FCS program. Like, the Raging Cajuns are a legit team, and um, Texas, I feel like you just saw their talent kind of went out in the second half. It was a, it was a close game early, but um, you just saw how many more explosive playmakers they had. Yeah, I Texas might be okay. Uh, I'm... I mean, not to overreact, but this this Louisiana team is good. Levi Lewis, you felt bad seeing on the sidelines. He's a good player, and Louisiana will be fine. But Texas, they looked like a normal, more talented team in what they should do against a less talented group. Um, Sark had them ready to go, and they took care of business. So shout out to them, and I think Hudson Card is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, one we both missed, our home dog of the week, the Houston Cougars fall twenty-one to thirty-eight to the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Now hold on, sir. Mm-hmm. You picked Houston. Yeah, I took the Red Raiders over here. Did you? I did. Oh no. That's why I was struggling with it being Zeus's home dog of the week. I was like, oh. you know, putting this on Zeus, but yeah. you know, I didn't necessarily pick that game. But um, maybe that's what he's riled up about tonight. That's true. Zeus is like I wasn't. That's a poor reflection. <laughs> okay. But uh, but yeah, I did take Texas Tech. Uh, over Houston, but uh, I think you had more thoughts on this game. I mean, is there a Dana Holgerson problem? Like, is he just uh, maybe not not a good not a good head coach anymore? Like, is this the guy you want going possible. to the Big Twelve? No, it's not Dana. Hol- Ever since all the old West Virginia stuff, him on the way out, like I feel like that's kind of changed my perception of Dana Holgerson. I think it's bad. Like, this is a, like Spencer Tune looked awful in this game um i don't know remember the stuff with Derek king right Mm -hmm. Uh, a couple years ago and kind of like encouraging players to sit out essentially like red shirt till next year it's like dudes are like what what are you talking about i'm in college for like four years i guess Derek king's gonna be there for six years but um but yeah it's it's just a weird situation dana holgerson just not the guy i'd want leading my program that's for sure lsu speaking of guys you don't want leading your program Matt Green. Boy, do I have a segue for you. LSU 27, UCLA 37. Wait, hold on. I think I messed up my list. Am I met? Uh, LSU, was it 27, 37? 38, 30, Okay, that's what it Sorry, I just want to make sure I got that right. Um, that score is a lot closer than if you watch the game it actually was. UCLA was in control throughout the Max Johnson had a crazy throw at one point facing the opposite direction. <laughs> oh my God. That was insane. It was a wild game, but we talked about this in the preview show where it was like, if UCLA is able to do what they did against Hawaii and do the same kind of stuff, then they're going to win this game. And they were able to just run DTR and Zach Charbonnet. And that was it. And they well, also LSU couldn't point, tackle. To be LSU could not. I just, Sorry, I dismissed your point, too, being like, they're not just going to run all over LSU the way they ran over Hawaii. And they, maybe it wasn't the exact same, but they definitely ran all over LSU. And mm. I, I feel like a lot of people are going to point, like you said, with Ed Orgeron, 
a lot of people are going to make this an indictment on LSU and Ed Orgeron. I'm not sure I'd be that quick to do that. Like, I feel like LSU could still be a good team this year. It's possible UCLA is just the best team in the Pac-12. Like, UCLA looks legit. They look like a, a legitimate contender. Like, not saying they're going to win a national championship or anything, but they look like, on Saturday, they look like the best team in the Pac-12. DTR threw 16 passes in this game. He completed nine passes total for 260 yards, 16.3 yards per attempt. <laughs> what? That is the most Chip Kelly QB box yeah. score I've ever seen. 28.9 yards per reception. <laughs> they averaged almost 30 yards every time they caught the ball. Like that's that's just absurd. Like and then rushing for over 200 yards. Like they they I feel like they just moved the ball at will, really. And yeah, you're kind of right too. Like the 38-20 before they got that late touchdown. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a blowout, but I think 38-20 kind of more accurately reflected the way this game felt. Like it felt like UCLA just took care of business. But I'm not sure that means, like I said, I'm not sure that means LSU is just not good. I think this could still be a nine and three team, and they just ran into one of the best teams in the Pac-12. Also, going on the road halfway across the country. Only the second time they've ever played a game in California in their school's history. Like, having to do that, obviously, I'm not going to blame it on the, the hurricane and everything going on, but, like, there's also those distractions. Like, I feel like people shouldn't be so quick to just think, oh, wow, LSU, we got to fire at Oratron. Like, this team sucks. Like, I think, I think you might have just seen them play a, a team that was better than them, and they lost. It's very possible. Very possible. Um, Last one on our list. It just finished. Notre Dame survives at FSU 41-38. How do we do here, Matt Green? Well, um, Mackenzie Milton really uh, really spoiled our, our against the spread there. Yeah. It was looking like Notre Dame was going to take care of business. So we both picked Notre Dame to win, and I think we both picked FSU to, to cover. Is that no, no. I mean, we both picked Notre Dame to win and cover. Yeah. So, FSU actually ended up covering. So, um, yeah. So we uh, split that one. We did split it. Um, this was a a thriller. This is something that uh, we'll remember for a little bit. It was it was fun. Um, people might be overreacting that Florida State's back, and then it's just like one of those where Notre Dame is criticized for winning this game because they didn't win it by enough. It's like oh. At a overrated Notre Dame. Love my mother dearly. She was here this weekend. She texted me during this game. Oh, look, Notre Dame overrated again as they were fighting against <laughs> Florida State. It's like a tradition unlike any other. Um, Southern fans really, really hate Notre Dame, and I don't really understand it. It's weird. It's I feel also like Southern fans hate every program. Mm-hmm that's good outside of the southeast yeah like ohio state ohio state oklahoma although usc oklahoma, yeah kind of one of them now so but but yeah that's that's how it felt i feel like anyone just kind of you know making a, a huge uh declaration like that is probably overreacting i thought this was a good win for for notre dame they were more in control of this game than i think the score kind of reflects but um yeah i mean mckenzie milton almost almost the greatest Almost the best story of the weekend if you could have come in and, and led Florida State to that comeback victory. Do you ever react to anything with Notre Dame? Like Jack Cohn, the game itself? Do you do you go with Travis or do you go with McKenzie next week? Um, you know, that's a good question. I think Jordan Travis clearly gives you more, you know, athletically. 
But um, but Mackenzie Milton, he they seemed to be moving the ball really well once he came in the game. So whether that was you know passing or running the ball, it just seemed like he was delivering catchable balls to his receivers. I um, I think it's definitely a quarterback controversy. I think um, you know you probably. I don't know. What do you think? Would you would you get Milton to start next week? I think I would just keep using everybody, right? and everybody in terms of those two. I would just keep going back and forth, right? Like I would just. I think you they do different stuff, and I would still just not want to put too much on Milton's plate right away. Um, I don't know. I I think I would still. I don't think I saw enough from both where I'm like, yeah, this is the guy going forward. I would keep testing it out a did little you, bit did you see brian kelly's comments after the game yes well it was a quote from john <laughs> yeah. mckay yeah i was not aware of that reference but he, um, well here's what he just said he said um it's an old john mckay quote, quote excuse me i was kidding i was being tongue-in-cheek it wasn't funny i was making a joke about it it was taken serious are you people crazy i don't seriously want to execute the player yeah like what <laughs> no like of course, like this is not a real thing. People are not mad about this. He's just bad. At, like this was just dumb. This isn't the uh, Iraqi soccer team back in the, the Saddam Hussein uh, era. Yeah, this is. Um, I think Florida State has a lot to be encouraged about. I think, um, you know, it's. I've talked about this before. I feel like we have era bias, and it's something about the teams that were really good in the '90s and early 2000s. We feel like those should always be the best teams. And so every time Florida State gets good, oh, Florida State's back. You know, they're going to be back to being a powerhouse. It's like, well, maybe, maybe not. But let's just not declare them being back or anything. Like, it was a it was a good performance against a, a good team. You know, they put up a, a good fight. But, um, you know, I think this Florida State team definitely, they're moving in the right direction, I think, if nothing else. So, I don't know. Do you think Notre Dame should be should be discouraged for only winning this game by three points no this is a weird one hostile environment crowd was hot and getting a new quarterback in there nah they're fine Notre Dame's like they're not going to contend they're not going to be in the playoff again this year but they're solid and Brian Kelly hey he just wins these games it's like damned if he does damned if he doesn't people really are just never going to be satisfied with Brian Kelly and what he does like that's just the the unfortunate reality for him is that people are just not going to be happy with him um even though he's on his way to being the notre dame all-time wins leader <laughs> like he is uh that dude just wins and he's football. clearly resurrected notre dame football like uh-huh. i mean just the people that talk about you know it's like what what do you expect to be you know like when we talk about the, have those conversations about nebraska and everything like or like local. stanford look at what stanford is right now with david shaw like how quickly that yeah. came down but like like i remember bo pelini catching such heat you know, in Nebraska after it was like mm. three or four straight nine and four seasons. And you're just like, what the hell do these people expect <laughs> me to do? Like, these are good seasons we're having. It's like Notre Dame, yeah, they might not be winning national championships like they once were. But, you know, two appearances in the college football playoff. Like, I mean, how many consecutive top 10, 12 finishes? Like, Brian Kelly has clearly got Notre Dame to where they're one of the they're one of the 10 best programs in college football. And you might even... If you're if you're making a legitimate list, they might be a little higher than that. Right, be the sixth or seventh best program in college football over over the recent years. So, I think I think Brian Kelly does an excellent job. Like you said, hostile environment, breaking a new quarterback. I think you just get out with a win and you're satisfied. For sure, for sure. So to wrap up, 
as we get into a couple other quick things, Matt Green on this recap show, um, how did we end up doing? Where are we at after week one in the pick'em? All right. So after week zero, we both went one and zero against the spread, but mm-hmm. zero and one overall. So both had Illinois keeping it close, but uh, I thought Nebraska would get the win. So uh, this weekend, I went three seven and one against the spread, as as well as you. We both went three seven and one against the spread. Not good. But uh, overall, I went eight and three to your five and six. So, mm. uh, you know, not a great start for uh, for Chase Thomas in the pick'em. Mm. But um, you know, long season. It is a long season. It is a long season. Um, a couple other quick ones, and you can stop me. This is what we'll do this season when we uh, for the other games outside of the pick'em. Stop me when you have a take. Are you ready? Yes, sir. All right. Coastal fifty-two, Citadel. 14 Arizona State 41 Southern Utah 14 um NC State 45 USF 0 uh we had Tulsa 17 UC Davis 19 Tulsa was in the title game last year for Conference USA or AAC excuse me last year right they were in Am I misremembering that? Aren't they Wait, in AAC? Tulsa, they're AAC, right? AAC, right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so they were in the AAC championship game last year, and they fall in week one to UC Davis and FCS school. Tennessee, 38. And Tulsa's oh. been respectable in recent years, too. Bad loss there. But they're not the only bad loss, Matt Green. Um, but Tennessee wins 38-6 to six against Bowling Green. What the are your t- thoughts about uh, Joe Milton game one? Mm. It's early. I'm nervous, like, uh, they opened as home dogs against Pitt this weekend. Um, inaccurate has the most ridiculous arm I've seen in person from a college quarterback in a long time. Like Joe Milton has a Matt Stafford arm where it's just crazy what he can throw. It, he missed badly. Might have on Jamarcus list. Russell arm. Jamarcus Russell. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. But I mean, he he's a smart runner. I think he's going to be really good in the run game. I think he's going to be used a lot better than the way Michigan used him in the run game. Um, Tennessee ran it all over him. Like, they ran for 300 yards in this game. And Teon Evans, who we'll get to, um, looks like Alvin Kamara 2.0, which is which is good. Um, but, yeah, Milton, I'm not sure if he's the guy long-term. Didn't see enough completion-wise to believe that. He missed some really obvious stuff over the middle. He missed stuff deep. He, he missed the easy stuff, which scares me the most. Um, Cooper Mays looks like he'll be back um defense looks solid theo jackson's a star um yeah well we'll see it's hard to take a lot away from a terrible terrible bowling green team um who just run five yard outs all the time scott leffler love it um unlv 33 eastern washington 35 tate martell did not play in this game uh duke 28 charlotte 31. Oh my goodness. Duke might not win a game this year. Uh, Wake Forest, 42. Old Dominion, 10. Michigan State, your old friend Mel Tucker, laying it to Hunter Johnson and Northwestern, 38-21. Um, South Dakota Running State. All over them, too. South Dakota State, the Jackrabbits. You love the Jackrabbits, Matt Green. They drop 42 on Steve Azios. Colorado State Rams, to just 23 points for them. Blown out at home by an FCS team. Not a good look. AM 41, Kent State 10, uh, Cincinnati 49, Miami, Ohio 14, Oregon 31, Fresno 
24. They almost pulled off the upset here. Um, Once again, but, man, mm. I feel like Oregon is just, I feel like they're, people keep trying to push Oregon on us. Like they're a, a, a title contender. I feel like they're just, they're just not. Like I just, I'm, every year I feel like I'm disappointed. I'm like, people just kind of convince you with what Oregon is going to be, what Mario Cristobal is going to build them into. And they just don't seem to live up to that every year. So once again, 31-24, Fresno is not some cupcake. But if you're a preseason number 11, you need to be beating Fresno by more than seven points. Like, this is supposed to be the best team in the Pac-12. Like, this is supposed to be their representative of the of the conference. Like, I just, I'm not buying Oregon. Florida, 35. Florida Atlantic, 14. What is your Florida take, Matt Green? Uh, my Florida take is that they will have a different starting quarterback in about three weeks. Oh, 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 good. I was oh, not impressed goodness. with Emory Jones by any means. I know you're big Emory Jones for Heisman, Florida one in the East guy. Like, Anthony Richards seems better than Emory Jones at everything. Like, he seems like a better passer, a better runner. Like, I'm not sure what Emory Jones does. Like, you talking about Joe Milton? Like, I feel like Emory Jones, it's like he's got the tools to to do things, but it's like he doesn't he doesn't do them. Like, I feel like a guy who's built like him should be a scrambler, should be a guy who, you know, keeps plays alive with his legs and finds guys open downfield. He seems like he's not a dual threat. He's just a guy who can throw it or he can run it. Like, that should be a dual threat, but it doesn't seem like he's capable of doing both at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, he just... He just sits back there in the pocket, doesn't appear to have the best pocket awareness, and he doesn't take off when something's not there. But if you know you call a design run for him, he's an athletic quarterback. So it's just kind of weird. Like, I feel like, what is this guy, a fourth year, fourth year junior or so at this point? And it looks like there's there's been no pro- progression at all. So, you know, this Florida offense, and not only that, like, all the scoring drives Florida had in this game, like, they're 10 plays, 14 plays, take seven, eight minutes off the clock. Like almost no explosive plays against this Florida Atlantic team. Like, you know, we talk about how JT Daniels looked against Clemson, but that was Clemson. Like this guy had 113 yards passing a touchdown and two picks versus Florida Atlantic. Like I just have a feeling we're going to come out against, uh, once we see Alabama and Florida in a few weeks, you know, we're going to see how overmatched Emory Jones really is. And I think by the end of the third quarter or so of the Florida-Alabama game, Anthony Richardson's going to be the starter. And I think I think he's not going to, they're not going to look back. Like, I think he just – he seems more dynamic in every way than Emory Jones. Phew. Flames over here from Matt Green. Montana, set, uh, 13. Washington, 7. Oh, just the Pac-12. Can't catch a break. Um, Kentucky, 45. That, that was bad, right? Like, the Washington loss is the worst loss of the weekend. I, I think probably so. Like I think they said it's the fifth um, FCS team to knock off a, a team ranked in the AP poll mm. um, all time. I, I can't give you that exact list. Um, but we could probably name a few if we wanted to. But, yeah, Washington come out and score a touchdown on their, on their first drive of the game and then 12 straight possessions with, with zero points against the Grizz. You know, all, all respect for the Grizz, but, uh, you know, like we said, this is the team that won the Pac-12 North last year, even though they didn't actually play in the, in the Pac-12 championship. So 
for this team to come out and lose to Memphis week one, not good. Michigan 47, Western Michigan 14. Uh, Cade McNamara looks pretty solid. Rutgers 61, Temple 14. Kansas State runs all over Deuce Vaughn, 124 for him. Uh, Skyler Thompson off uh, 144 through the the air. So the Wildcats went 24 to seven. Close friends call him Deuce Gone. Oh, I, I, I can't with you. Um, <laughs> Army 43, Georgia State 10. Georgia State was favored going to this game, folks. Not not a great look from Sean Elliott. Uh, Arkansas 38, Rice 17. Marshall, no respect for the Navy midshipmen. 49 to seven. Navy might be awful. Navy is in real trouble. Can are they practicing tackling now? I don't think so. I don't think <laughs> didn't, so. Didn't show. Little Tua. It's time we put our attention on Maryland. Matt Green. Tua looked great, and they have playmakers out <laughs> wide. His name isn't Tua. I said Little Tua. <laughs> okay. He's Little Tua. That's who he's going to be. He's Little Tua. Um, Thirty for the Terps to West Virginia's twenty-four. Mississippi State survives Matt Green. 35-34 against Skip Holtz, Louisiana Tech, Bulldogs. I think a lot of people are expecting a huge jump, you know, year one to year two. I think it's been kind of, you know, widely reported how year two of of Mike Leach, his team's average like 10 more points a game. So a lot has been expect, expected in year two. And to need that kind of a comeback to beat Louisiana Tech, like – that's uh that's not a good sign for SEC play. Oklahoma 40 Tulane 35 um, So mm-hmm. so what what is the deal with Oklahoma? Is this the same story? Just the same team? Like I was told they had a defense now. Like <laughs> I was told it was going to be different now. Like we're we're not going to sleepwalk through these through these uh inferior opponents. Like this is unbelievable. Like Obviously, they were up big. Like, what was it? You know, 21-point lead at the half or so, 23 points. But to just let Tulane get back in the game like that, like, you got to put people away. Like, you can't be winning five-point games to Tulane and try to tell me that you're that you're one of the, the contenders in college football. Like, that that's just been the, the common talking point all year is how, you know, this, this defense is legit now. You know, like, that's what we've been told. And, you know, like last year, it wasn't a bad defense. I think mean, they were like 25th, 30th ranked defense in the country, but it, it definitely wasn't a good defense. So it's just interesting how we, I, I hate to like always make it a Kirby Smart versus Lincoln Riley conversation, but like Georgia just beat Clemson week one and you still got the naysayers saying, oh, but the offense is a huge problem. Like Lincoln Riley, they just gave up 35 points to Tulane, like a, they had to sweat out a, a a fourth and thirteen at the end that the guy picked up twelve yards. Like, to, they did not put Tulane away, and I feel like it's just it seems like the same old Oklahoma that we've seen. Like, yeah, they're going to score a lot of points, but they're also going to sleep on teams that they're better than, and you know, someone that's better is gonna is gonna beat them. It seems to happen every year. One of these unranked, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh best team in the Big Twelve, just any given Saturday just ends up beating Oklahoma. So I'm, I was really disappointed with Oklahoma's performance. Cause I feel like this, this is supposed to be the year where they're, they're dominant on both sides of the ball. And you still didn't see that. 
it's one game. They'll be fine. Oklahoma's going to be fine. Uh, I'm not worried. Um, Washington State, 23 in Jared Garantano's debut for the Cougs. They fall to Utah State, 26-23. Uh, BYU survives Arizona, 24-16. Cal falls to Nevada at home. Carson Strong going to be an NFL quarterback. 22 to 17. Um, my favorite one of the weekend outside of Georgia Tech going down to NIU. Vanderbilt, three. Oh, man. East Tennessee State, go Bucks, 23. Oh, my goodness. Vandy. Like, absolutely blown out. Like, this game is <laughs> competitive. Like, versus East Tennessee State. Like, we're talking about this conference realignment. Like, can we revisit just Vandy being in the SEC in general? Like, I know there's all kinds of sports, and they're good in other sports, but let's be honest. College football is king, and you can't be losing games to to in-state teams not named Tennessee. Like, come on. I guess I, I'll give you Memphis. Memphis is a quality program. But, um, yeah, listen to the East Tennessee states and, and Austin Peas of the world. That's uh, not really acceptable. Man. Last one, and we'll wrap up our weekend recap on this edition. Georgia Tech 21, NIU 22. Oh, man. Unleash your Georgia Tech take, Matt Green. Oh, I mean, that's it. I don't I really have anything <laughs> else to say. You know, it's like, like I, I'm, I'm taking away a hot take that still, like, I wasn't even predicting for another, like, four or five years, right? Like, there's still time for that to be true. Clemson's probably going to run the table, win the ACC for, you know, it could be the next 10 years for all we know. But um, Georgia Tech just does not appear to be building anything. And, like, that's honestly, it brings into question, like, the Georgia-Georgia Tech rivalry with all these conference expansion going on. It's like, why even continue to play this team? They're not even, they're not even good. Right. Like this just I was a believer in, in Jeff Collins kind of, you know, building something here. But, you know, this is year three now. Like you're, we're supposed to be getting better and there's no signs of improvement. No, but this is what I said on the pod last week, I think, where I was like, Paul Johnson isn't going to recruit like Jeff Collins is. But like what Jeff Collins was trying to do, I didn't think was going to happen at Georgia Tech like this is not real this isn't you're not going to be able to compete with Georgia and get the same kind of players that Kirby's getting like you're not winning the state you're not giving any real competition so what you have to do is find your own lane and find your own niche Paul Johnson had a niche it worked see but like I this dude doesn't have a niche saying. this offense stinks saying, but like Paul Johnson what was the strategy where like we're cool with just being good once every seven years yes it's like Georgia Tech football wasn't that before Paul Johnson got there, you know, like Georgia, like they got recruits like Calvin Johnson, you know, like they mm-hmm. got big time players. They, they beat Georgia three years in a row. Like it was like 98, 99, 2000. Like they won a national championship in 1990. Like this was not a joke of a program. The Georgia, Georgia Tech rivalry was real. Like it actually existed. And, you know, we're going on, like, obviously, we go, like, what, last 20 years or so, Georgia Tech's got some wins. It was, like, three or four wins over the last 20 years over Georgia. But, like, that's that's it. Like, they, they're just they're, – they're not a competitive program anymore, and it's, it's kind of crazy. Like, Paul Johnson was so good at what he did, but what he did, like, may, may have permanently ruined Georgia Tech's football. Like – 
you just have generations of kids growing up that have never seen Georgia Tech be consistently good. You know, like you've never seen it. And that triple option, even though they were really good at it, it just it made them a laughing stock of, of Power 5 schools. And that's why I was a believer in what Jeff Collins was doing. He was also, you know, he was on Alabama staff, like Saban's first year. So he kind of saw how Alabama was built. I felt like, you know, that's that's invaluable to have that sort of experience. And so I was a believer in his energy. He has strong Butch Jones vibes, if we're being mm. honest. Like, I feel like I just, I hear the way they talk. They sound like the same guy. But Butch Jones also gets hated on way too much for actually what he what he built Tennessee into, in my opinion. I feel like he actually turned them into a, you know, can, uh, one of the better teams in the SEC East, at least. But obviously, there's a whole other story about why that didn't work out. But I was just a believer in what Paul Johnson was building, like, you know, marketing the 404. You know, there's there's so much talent in the state of Georgia. You know, we've seen how South Carolina in the Spurrier years, like, and even Kentucky in, in recent years, too, like, those programs have been kind of built. Even Je- uh, Vanderbilt under under uh, what I'm losing as – forgetting his name right now for Penn State, uh, James Franklin – a lot of those teams were built on talent from the state of Georgia. Getting those three-star, maybe not even three-star players from the state of Georgia that have a chip on their shoulder. You know, those 50 to 100th ranked players from the state of Georgia that come in and they just compete. Like, South Carolina, Auburn, you know, gets probably better players than Georgia from that. But, like, South Carolina, I feel like, was the legitimate, you know, thing they could, like, I'm saying, like, the Spurrier South Carolina years. Like, that was, like, a legitimate thing for them to, you know – kind of expect, maybe not expect, but kind of build towards, like, hey, we could be a team that wins nine, ten games a year, like, getting the the third, fourth tier talent coming out of the state of Georgia, but it's like, that third, fourth, fifth tier talent coming out of the state of Georgia isn't even interested in going to Georgia Tech. They'd rather go to Central Florida. They'd rather go to, you know, any of the surrounding programs than go to Georgia Tech, and it's just, I think Paul Johnson is... <laughs> is probably the biggest reason for that. It's just all you know of Georgia Tech is this 1940s triple option offense. And it's like if you want to go to the NFL and you're a quarterback, like that's not where you go. If you wanted to go to the NFL and you're a running back, it's like it's not even preparing you for for the for what a running back does in the NFL. So it's not preparing offensive linemen for the NFL. So it just it took Georgia Tech you know, just back in time so long that I'm not sure they're ever going to recover from it. Mm. happy happy note to end the georgia deck portion of this very podcast matt green um let's move to our new segment that we'll be doing every week on this recap show matt green this is going to be fun um the headline story of the weekend we're both journalism uh alums from the university of north georgia we're going to put them to work put those diplomas to work Mac Mar- Green. the Merrill Morris School of Journalism mm, I was gonna go Jacob J that was more uh, of a, okay that was more of a Mr. Uh, Professor Johnson he was, he was not a fan of me <laughs> honestly I think I was the only professor in college that didn't like me I feel like he was uh he's not a fan maybe that's why I liked him just because our roles were reversed in the classroom <laughs> he there. didn't like me that's why he liked him and he liked me yeah <laughs> that makes sense because you're like, you yeah, like, you seem like that level of petty. So that makes sense. I was pretty petty. <laughs> I'm pretty petty 
for sure. No, for sure. That was a that was a fun class that we had together. Jake was it? Was it fun? I don't know if I'd describe that. Yeah, class. there was like five people in the class. I feel like that was a uh, some good times in that class. It was a class you couldn't be late to because if you relate to that class, there's no sneaking in. <laughs> Yeah, that was the class I did my most actual journalism work, like that long form mm-hmm. journalism. Yeah, I guess like that. Was, I love that assignment. That what did actually, you do? Yeah. Um, I actually did it on um on uh, little people. I try to be uh, politically correct here, but there was that little person that uh, went to school with us, and it was it was like part of this whole like you know this whole like organization um like this like thing they did every year just national like little person association something like that but it was mm-hmm. um it was yeah i feel like i actually had to do work yeah i um yeah that uh, that's really cool man I, that was actually like really fun to report on too because i did a uh animal shelter and just getting to talk with them and get into really what's going on and what their problems were and just do real fun reporting matt green back back in the day that do you do you ever think about how long ago that was now how how many years ago were we in that classroom was that six seven shoot that was like yeah that was like seven or eight years ago that's insane that is insane. time flies time flies matt green um but anyway to bring it all back to bring it full circle matt green we are going to do our headline story of the weekend. If you had to do the front page of a college football annual magazine, whatever, for this weekend, what would it be? Defense is not dead. Okay. I know you're I know my uh, my counterpart on this podcast loves to hate <laughs> on defense. Big offense guy, but mm-hmm. um like just getting in Twitter arguments that I've been I've been very active on Twitter the last 24 hours as you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, after that Georgia win, it's just like the people that still continue to say like George, Kirby Smart isn't a good coach. It's just like, did you see the defensive performance? Like that's half, that's one side of the ball that was mm-hmm. dominant. So obviously Georgia's got things to improve, but you know, just seeing Penn State grit out that win that they did, and and Georgia like defense and running the ball is not obsolete. People like you know the passing yards are fun but you can still win games with good old-fashioned defense field position running the ball don't let uh don't let the haters fool you i'm glad we don't have to watch that again because i told uh i think my girlfriend and i were talking about it where it's just like who are you rooting for because it's like don't like Dabo, don't like georgia don't know what i'm doing here it was it was a, it was a tough one <laughs> tough one to get through because i wasn't really sure how i wanted it to go but my family georgia fans so Ultimately, I'm happy to see them happy. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll move on to our next segment that we'll be doing every week as well. Add a sticker, remove a sticker. I love stickers. My laptop is covered in them. Matt Green. Oh, you big sticker guy? Big sticker guy. <laughs> I actually have an SEC one. I have an XFL one. I have a Kobe one. I have an Atlanta sports one. I have some Tennessee ones. I have an Outcast Atlanta one. I have a Michael Jordan one. Yeah, gotta do right. it. I like it. I like, and it's you also say Michael good... Jordan one. You just mean like a Jumpman logo? No, it's actually a classic Michael Jordan sitting on a skateboard posing for a photo. Interesting. From like '92, <laughs> it's great. Skateboarder MJ. That's why it's funny to me. Like Michael Jordan just sitting on the greatest skateboard of all time. If you want to be, he probably could have been. Um, so 
the the premise of this segment, Matt Green. You know, you get dog bones on the back of a Georgia helmet if you play well, do some good stuff. But we also remove oh, one. Not anymore. They actually got rid of those. Well, yeah, I missed the dog bones. Well, I'm just saying. That's what people remember. That's what we grew up on. That's what we knew. Buckeyes. They'll still happen. The Buckeyes still do it, yeah. Um, wait, why did Georgia get rid of them? I don't know. Maybe, maybe Kirby just didn't like it. So they, I was going to say, because Aaron Murray, yeah. I know for a fact, had them on his. For sure. I think Kirby legit got, I think he was the one that got rid of them. Because they had the white bones, but mm-hmm. then like the black bones would be like academic achievements too. Hmm. So it's like, because they're student athletes, you know, we all mm-hmm. care so much about what they do in the classroom. Add... Does, does Florida State still do the Tomahawks? I feel like those were... Oh, I don't I think like so. Were, I don't think they do either. I feel like those always looked really cool back in the day. I think that's gone too, now that you mention it. Is Ohio State just the last one standing? No, I, I'm sure there's someone else because I feel like I remember commenting on someone else doing it this weekend. Uh, Clemson, remember. I know, used to do it too. But yeah, Ohio State... That's what I was going to say. Penn State needs to do something with it. Like, because that's what makes Ohio State look so much better than Penn State. It's like they have both have those. That's points. never happening, Matt Green. Penn State's never I'm putting sure. anything in their helmets. Add names to the jerseys. Do something. Like, they're they're plain uniforms, but you could. They look little, good. They look solid, for sure. But Ohio State, I feel like. There's a lot of teams we can complain about uniform-wise, Matt Green. Penn State is not one of them for me. I'm saying they look they look fine. I'm not hating on the traditional. I like traditional uniforms. I'm just saying you could add names to the back of the jersey. You could add a logo on the helmet and not just change the whole uniform. Like, because Ohio State, that's why their plain helmets look better. Is because you know half of the season, all the good players have half the the half the helmet covered in in Buckeyes. So it just it's kind of a cool look. That's that's the only thing I'm saying. Not hating on Penn State's uniforms. I would I would definitely take Penn State's uniforms over, you know half the teams we saw play college football this weekend like i mean what is everyone's obsession with having black uniforms like if you don't have black in your colors like just teams rocking uniforms that don't include like northwestern rocking those black with gold it's just like this isn't northwestern it's just that drives me crazy everyone wants to have black obviously they do have the purple and black in their uniform but like i can't remember who it was someone else that rocked black jerseys this weekend that just it's not even part of the colors. It's just grinds my gears, sir. Wow, that was that was a lot, Matt Green. Is it Minnesota, Minnesota was the one. Minnesota looked terrible. Mm-hmm. They, those were awful uniforms. Like, just don't try to do too much. Burgundy and gold, like, just do something with that. Like, they're just trying too hard. Add a sticker for me, Matt Green. Tyon Evans. You love to see it. That dude is. Like Alvin Kamara, it's high billing. Don't want to put too much pressure on the kid, but Juco Don't transfer. He's he's a dude. He is a dude. We didn't talk about him. Tank Bigsby was the highest graded running back this week in college football. You were you were pretty low on Bigsby, and I was pretty high on him coming into the year. Um, um I wasn't low on him. I just feel like it's just the way people have talked about him being like the best running back in the sec like i mean kind of he might be far and away like he might be but i feel like isaiah spiller looked a lot more impressive i'm just i'm not ready to just crown him the best running back clearly in the sec i think there's you're you're more leaning back. towards ty and evans is what it sounds like with that 87.8 grade averaging over seven <laughs> yards a carry i watched it up close he had this touchdown run it was, it was great people might remember Samir White running over that dude. But you know what I remember? Do you know what the real college football fans remember? Do you know what the real SEC 
fans remember, they remember Tyon Evans putting on a show at Nealon on Thursday night on the SEC Network. That's that's what college, those are the moments college football is made of. What you do against Clemson is fine, but what you do against Bowling Green, that's really, that's the measuring stick right there. Absolutely. We agree. We agree. (laughs) Uh, Your sticker, Matt Green, who do you have? Oh, my sticker, I got to go with Riley Moss. Mm. Two pick sixes in one game for Iowa. Gave me uh, memories of my guy Daryl Gamble back in 2009 at Mm. LSU for Georgia. (laughs) Two pick sixes in the game. Also, side story, later bought me and my brother's shots at a a bar in downtown Athens. It's honestly one of my best, maybe my favorite moment as a Georgia fan. It was at sad at the same time because we had just been blown out by Florida 2009 and they like it was that weekend they come home and we're talking to Georgia players and this guy's like yo from a fan's perspective like what is wrong with our team it's like everything the coaches say to do we do it like it was like such this like defeated like damn like we're not we're not nearly where we need to be right now the players are saying this to just some random dudes at a bar you know so but yeah, shout out to Daryl Gamble for uh, buying me and my brothers uh, some shots back in 2009. Um, but uh, yeah, Riley Moss, two pick sixes in the blowout win over Indiana. So give me, give uh, give him a helmet sticker. Mm, there you go. Um, removing a sticker, it can't all be it can't all be rainbows, sunshine and rainbows. We gotta we gotta go after somebody. Unfortunately, in this in this segment. Dwan Mathis, your old friend. Do you know what kind of weekend he had mm. against Rutgers? I know it wasn't good. For the Temple Owls, Rutgers created five turnovers, held Temple, quarterback Dewan Mathis, to 8 of 24, passing for 148 yards. Temple was 2 of 12 on third down, 261 total yards. I, ooh, ooh. Or Dewan I just want to know what this guy was doing in practice. This was really bad. You know, 12, 13 months ago, mm-hmm. where he was the best option at starting quarterback. Obviously, JT Dan- uh, Jamie Newman sat out, opted out or whatever, and JT Daniels, you know, wasn't healthy. But for Dewan Mathis to get be the starter at Georgia and now to be where he is and, you know, playing the way he was at Temple, like, I mean, this guy was an Ohio State commit, too, like, before he flipped to Georgia. It's just kind of crazy that sometimes we just misevaluate these uh, these recruits, clearly. Shout out Tate Martell. Um, your pulled sticker, Macron. You've mentioned him a little bit. Yeah, I kind of alluded to it earlier. I'm yeah. pulling a sticker from Emory Jones. Mm. Like, I just, not only, like, was I never buying the Heisman campaign, like, the Heisman hype, like, I thought he could be, you know a Nick Fitzgerald type or something in, in Dan Mullen's offense, you know, maybe Florida goes a little more run first and, you know, they did run the ball all over FAU on Saturday, but, but Emory Jones, just his inability as a passer is just, it's glaring at this point. And, you know, I just don't see him lasting as Florida starter. So, you know, I gotta, I gotta take a helmet sticker from Emory Jones, put him on blast. Yikes. He'll be fine. I'm not worried about Emory. Um, Matt Green, let us finish with our favorite segment. It's back. It's back, baby. Friday Night Lights in amateur sports. <laughs> it's my it's my favorite segment. Were you able to attend a Dacula 
Falcons game this weekend? No, I have not. I have not been to one. Okay, are there, you keeping up with was, the? Mm-hmm. No, and I know that one of the um, oh, what's it called? The whole little uh, the pre's the, the opening Corky Kell classic. Yes. Yeah, they had one of those games. I know at Decula, it was like on a Wednesday or Thursday night. It was only one of these random days. But traffic uh, was really backed up. I could, I could Fans hear are the crazy. band. I could mm. hear the band from my uh, from my back uh, porch. Really. Yeah, we're we're that close to Decula High School, but um, that's pretty cool. Still haven't still haven't been to a game. We'll get there. What are you doing? Oh. All she wants to do is go to one Decula game. <laughs> Just won't do it. Got well, your back, Dory. Don't worry about I got, it. I got Buford and like mm-hmm. Lanier alliances too. Like, and I went to North Gwinnett, so it's like you know. Just go to a North Gwinnett game. We'll have to. Uh, we'll have to. We'll have to check one out. I think Lanier. I think they might play Lanier and Buford. So I think they might be in the same region as Lanier. I think so. Went to a basketball game this year though, so I'm not completely uninvolved in the community. <laughs> but um, and I, I will say I was impressed by the uh, the mm-hmm. basketball environment for that Lanier uh, for that Lanier North game or Decula game. There you go. Um, I went to Oak Ridge Clinton this weekend. I've been to both Oak Ridge games the last two weeks. It's great. They look like Remember the Titans. Their uniforms and everything. It's, it's delightful. Um, did I? Did you see the the video I recorded of a fan near me? Um, no. I feel like I saw you post a picture at the game, but yeah. uh, but Just, no. He was losing his mind. He's the most classic, classic Southern super high school fan. Way too involved in the high school program. Like the guy uh, Nub Nelson from Titletown High, who got Rush Probst fired. <laughs> Strong Nub Nelson vibes from this man. He had a QB club. Nelson. Yeah. I mean, I, I love high school football so much. It's it's so perfect. And Oak Ridge won 22-7 against the Clinton Dragons on the road. Crazy atmosphere. Didn't know if I was going to be able to get back to my car in time, how bad the traffic would be getting out of there. Uh, <laughs> but it was great, man. They They stole it. There was the punter for Clinton. Awful awful just skyrockets five yard punts over and over again he killed them he cost him the game clinton's punter their special teams it will get you it'll get you especially in high school football matt green especially in high school football <laughs> but the oak ridge wildcats they fought hard um they ran the ball extremely well some big plays in this game they fought especially in that second half um quarterback only completed like one pass in this game not a lot of downfield action from oak ridge in this one but Excited to see how they rebound uh, this weekend at Farragut. So we'll we'll see what happens there. But good times. Farragut, like that in South Carolina? No, Farragut's in uh, oh, Knox, okay. yeah. Farragut Academy in uh, South Carolina was, I know, where uh, I believe Kevin Garnett went. There you go. There but you go. Different school, obviously. But you know about our alum, about our alumna, alumnus? Mm. I don't know. About the schools we went to high school at. Right. You know what they did this weekend, right? Who? They played each other. Oh, did North Gwinnett and Parkview play? Yeah, North Gwinnett beat Parkview 34-27. Fake news. Stop the count. Outscored on 14 zip in the fourth quarter. You know, that's that's always been Parkview guys thing. You know, they just can't close in the fourth. Wait, what was Parkview up in the fourth? It was was uh, 27-20 going into the fourth quarter. Couldn't close. You couldn't close. North Gwinnett, you know, it's just that, uh, that champion mentality that North Gwinnett has. I'm looking up in my Parkview helmet right now. Makes me sad. Makes me sad. Matt Green, that is all I've got. What a show. I miss these recap shows. We actually had football to talk about tonight. Yeah, it's good stuff. We've just been, um, you know, 
creating things to talk about for the last uh, several months. So it's nice to uh, for the content to create itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Matt Green, we can find you on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. Uh, go check out sportsrenaissancemand.substack.com. Email us at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Follow me at chase double underscore Thomas. And make sure to leave a five-star rating and review if you are an Apple Podcast listener. But you can get this episode, this show as a whole, wherever you get your podcasts. Matt, I will talk to you later this week, sir. Sounds good. All right, hello, and welcome back to Sunday Night Major League Baseball Talk on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am now joined, as I am every single Sunday night, usually not this late, but because Stacey Gatsoulias is the absolute best of Lockdown Yankees, she is here with me to talk some Major League Baseball. Stacey, good evening. How are you? I'm good. That was quite a college football game that was on tonight. <laughs> a college football game. That was like just one. That was like, that was an appetizer for how this weekend was, Stacy. <laughs> it was a great weekend. It was exhausting. But we even mm. have one more tomorrow night. We got Ole Miss and uh, Louisville. I know you're amped. <laughs> uh, no, not, not no. amped. Did you at least watch your brother's Florida Gators? I actually did not. No. Mm. I did not. I just, I, I happened to be watching the game that was on earlier between Notre Dame and uh, Florida State. Yes, it was It was a great game. And people, folks heard that before you and I got started because that was the, the previous part of this podcast, mm-hmm. Stacey. But there is some Major League Baseball to talk about. We have to start the Dodgers losing A.J. Pollock tonight. And also, they just had a, a, a series with the San Francisco Giants and LA Dodgers end where Keith Law was very upset at uh, some of these balls and strike calls. Dodger fans were upset. Giants fans were upset. Not a great night for umpires, but um, yeah, Pollock gone for several weeks. What do you make of it? Yeah, I saw him make that slide and it reminded me of uh, Willie Mays Hayes sliding in at the end of Major League. I know that's a spoiler, but the movie's 32 years old now. (laughs) Um, but he made that kind of a slide with his leg hooked. And there's a big difference between making that kind of a slide at third base and making that slide at home plate, which is not raised up off the ground as high as third base. And as soon as he did it, I thought to myself, ooh, I think he really just hurt himself. And <laughs> turns out he did because he's going to be out a little while there. Yeah. How, what, what are you worried about? Like, um, who will step in? Is this really going to make a difference in the... In a West race down the stretch, what do you? I don't know. Yeah. I you know, and I I was surprised because I watched uh, the end of the game tonight, and I was surprised to find out that they're done for the year. Who's who made up the schedule where the Dodgers and the Giants wouldn't be playing each other later into September? It's kind of ridiculous. They should have at least one more series. That's ludicrous to me so um well to be fair no one thought the giants were be good <laughs> like, well true yeah. but it's not even that it's mm. i mean it doesn't even matter if the dodgers and giants aren't good it's that rivalry is always yeah. a rivalry no matter what and it just seems silly to me that um they're not playing again for the rest of the season uh at least <laughs> not until possibly the playoffs i mean that could happen so you never know um so for them, it's just that each team has to take care of their own business. And yes, they'll be scoreboard watching and stuff, but that's going to be a fun race. 
down the stretch. This is going to be a fun month of baseball out there with them being so close to one another. AJ Pollock had a 132 WRC plus before he went down. Yeah, that's that's rough. I but like, how do they do this? I just don't understand. The Dodgers just do this. They just they do this with everybody. Like, obviously, Mookie's been awesome. Um, they do that. Max Muncie just being an absolute stud, hitting 30 bombs, everything. Will Smith. But like, I just I don't understand. It's the other ones that I just don't get. It's the Pollocks that I that I really just don't understand. Right. Yeah, and it seems like they have someone like that every year mm-hmm. where you're just like, where did this guy come from? And then they kind of turn back into pumpkins. Um, I mean, Cody Bellinger is totally a pumpkin right now, which is really rough to see for him. He's just fallen off really hard. I think he really needs to cut his hair. That might change his mojo. <laughs> He's still somehow long. only 25. Is that not I weird know. to you? Oh, that... he... Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has plenty of time to turn it around. He's not even in his prime yet, you know, Um but it's just so strange to see him fall off that much. And who knows? It could be some sort of weird carryover from last year because I know he hurt himself. Is he the one that hurt himself in the World Series? Yes. Like he's well, he's right. been hurt for like a year and a half. This guy right. has been like Cody Bellinger has not been right for a very long time, it seems like. Right. But it just feels like for some reason this season feels way worse. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, um, the Pollock thing could be a problem just because he's been such a big contributor. But like, as you said, they always find these guys that they can plug in and do things with. And I think they might be okay. Yeah. I I don't know. How do you see this race going now? How do you see it? Like, have you shifted it all with the Giants and the, the Dodgers? Like, who do you think also benefits more of being in the wildcard spot? Or who do you think, maybe not benefit, who stands to be under more pressure in a wild card situation, who would you be more nervous about? Because it looks like it might be the Padres they get matched up with or, or the Reds talked about that last week, but who do you think it matters more for them to, to avoid that wild card spot? Yeah, I think the Dodgers would have a problem in the wild card spot. I could see them. Plus it's the whole pressure of they won last year. And if they play in the wild card game and they lose to someone like the Reds, that would just be a big bummer for them and that's a lot of pressure on them because they're going to feel more pressure that no one expected the giants to do as well as they're doing everything's gravy for the giants if they make it past a certain point because no one expected this really um i think the dodgers definitely have more pressure and i think we discussed the fact that we would was it us <laughs> talking about um the dodgers and the reds being an interesting matchup and seeing mm. how the reds could yes. probably in a one game uh playoff maybe screw things up for the dodgers that could be kind of fun <laughs> yeah i mean I, I wouldn't want any part of the the reds offense in a one game one game playoff. right that, and that the padres scary. i believe if i saw this correctly on espn earlier have the most difficult schedule in mm-hmm. baseball in september so they're gonna have to get there because you know they had a bit of a rough august there and there's sort of turning things around they took two out of three against the astros which is no easy feat so if they keep this run going and can do something with that schedule they could make a run for the wild card pull ahead of everyone and and make it so they're playing possibly the dodgers or the giants depending on who finishes and wouldn't that be fun that would be fun um that would be fun stacy it's your favorite segment of the week because they will never not be the Mets. They just, they can't stop themselves. They can't help themselves from being the Mets. Um, Zach Scott 
placed on administrative leave. Ooh, I, I just... What, what do you make of the latest week in Metzdom? <sighs> when that came out, I just thought to myself, really? Like, seriously? Again? Again? Another guy in that position is screwing up? Like, do they vet these people? I don't understand. And the fact that he was coming from an, ev- from an event at Steve Cohen's house, I just, I really don't understand how people don't use the plethora of services that there are where you won't have to drive home drunk. And it wasn't that he just drove home drunk. Didn't they find him passed out in his car? Yes. Yeah. Like, I just... Hmm. I don't understand how people with... Well, I don't understand how people drive drunk to begin with. But my problem is always hearing about people who you know are making money, who can afford to have someone drive them around if they know they're going to be drinking somewhere. Why would you risk it? Because you're not even just risking your own life. You're risking other people's lives. And usually that's what happens. A drunk driver will usually kill someone else, not themselves. And it's just... I get so angry with this stuff. I know people who have been personally affected by drunk drivers. I have a friend who lost their husband. They were injured extremely bad in this accident and are still feeling the repercussions of that accident and still relearning how to do things, including walking. And I just, I have no patience for this stuff. And aside from the LOL Mets stuff, this really pissed me off. Like, I was really angry about that. Yeah, it's just easily unavoidable, or easily avoidable, rather. And Cohen not really taking all that much responsibility. And people were like, oh, what? It, that's not his fault, though. It's like, well, no, he's throwing the party. Like, that's part mm-hmm. of part of the deal. Like, this is right. a bad look on him and the organization as a whole. Like, this is this is bad. Also weird mm-hmm. the players were there. Like, this is just all weird. Um, the Mets stay the Mets. But um, it looks like things are turning the corner because... They're going outside. No, they're not. They're promoting from within. And Brian Alderson, uh, Brent Alderson, excuse me, <laughs> is rising up the ranks and met them. Um, they promoted him. Him and Ian Levin, uh, Levine got promoted. Um, but man, I don't know. Like he's now the professional scouting director. Sandy Alderson, obviously. Maybe I, I just the Mets have to clean house. Like everything I look up, I'm just I. They gotta yeah. go. Like you just gotta clean house. Cohen's gotta clean house. But then you're like. Are we sure Cohen's good? Are we sure Cohen's going to be the man, the owner? He might be the richest owner. Are we sure he figures it out? Are we sure this is someone that's better? Like, you can't be worse than the Wilpons, but like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Are we sure? Yeah. And, you know, his whole tweeting then oh, just... just log off, man. Just yeah, log off. It's not great. It's not great. I mean, the Mets have picked it up and they've been winning this week and, you know, they're uh, giving their fans something to get excited about again um but i don't know i don't know if it's sustainable um you know you never know could be but um after last weekend you would have figured they would have fallen off a cliff but they did pick things up and uh at least on the field off the field who knows they could have another disaster this coming week i mean you never it's just it seems like it's constant i mean i I just don't understand how this team is always having something crazy happening off the field. Yeah, it's just the Mets. Um, Stacy, the Blue Jays, 
have some questions. Like it, it, it feels bad that we're talking about the offseason with them, but this is something that they have to look at. Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon, who have both been very good for the Toronto Blue Jays. What do you make of their chances of re-signing both? Would you prioritize re-signing both? Would you be a little bit more concerned about locking up Robbie Ray to maybe a longer, richer deal? What do you? What, what is your stance on the Blue Jays as they prioritize their vets while also understanding that, like, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is going to get paid a lot of money soon and Bo Bichette's coming and you look at it and you're like, uh-oh, this is about to get an expensive team, but also not uh-oh because it's good and Sportsnet, uh, or not Sportsnet, great, great stuff, but um, MLSE, have money, spend it. Like this yeah. is not a real thing. It, it, it's about time that they started spending like a big yes. market because Toronto's huge. Yes, yes. They need to uh, keep both of them. And I know a bunch of Jays fans who would be really pissed if they didn't. <laughs> It'd be really silly if they didn't. Um, you know, Ray is having a Cy Young season. And, you know, could you get any better than Simeon hitting the walk-off home run in that insane game? against his former team that basically dumped him because they didn't want to pay him. <laughs> mm. Like, I mean, God, I love baseball. Just for that whole angle of it, just th- that game was crazy. And I know like four or five people, separate people that I know up in Toronto who were at that specific game. And I just kept thinking, wow, this game can't get any nuttier. And it just kept getting nuttier. And then when Simeon hit the walk off, I thought to myself, wow, that is amazing kind of baseball karma for the poor A's because they are just falling down a hill right now um, and they don't seem to be recovering and yes the Jays need to spend money they have the money to do it and they'll have the money to keep the younger kids around too so yes they need to prioritize that and keep both those guys because those two guys will help put them over the top in the coming seasons because I mean they still have a chance in the wild card but um, they have a real shot at being really good in the next couple of years, and they need those two guys to do that. Absolutely. This week, the New York Yankees, Zach Britton, gone for the year. Questions in the bullpen. Where where are you at right now with your New York Yankees, Stacey? Well, it's a good thing we didn't record this earlier because I would have been cursing a lot. Mm. Um, oh, between, <laughs> between losing Britton... Not that that was such a big deal because he wasn't really around for most of the season. When he was, he didn't do well. It's losing Jonathan Lewisica. That's the big problem. And it showed today. <laughs> it reared its ugly head on Sunday afternoon. They needed Jonathan Lewisica. He wasn't there. Um, that's going to be what kills them is not having him. Um, what's also going to kill them is if their starters can't go past four innings every start. And if Garrett Cole's the only one who can. So... That needs to... The Yankees have a stretch of 20 straight games. They're three games into it. Not so great so far. This is this is a big test for them. They have the Blue Jays coming in for four games. I mean, it's just... I can't even... I just can't even. So, yeah. Um, and Lewisica's problem is the same problem that he's had three different times with his shoulder. So, he's had varying degrees of time off from having that injury and I just I have a bad feeling that we're not going to see him again this season Oof. are you are you out like is there a way to talk Stacey Gutsilius back in on the Yankees making a World Series run I don't see a World Series run mm-hmm. um, 
you know, at this point, I'd be happy if they made it to the wild card game. Um, but if guys keep dropping like fr- fl- fries, <laughs> like flies, um, it's not going to happen. I mean, Luizaga was a big part of the bullpen, and I was kind of um, campaign. Well, no, I'm not kind of. I was campaigning for him to be put into Chapman's place because he's iffy. Um, <laughs> and now that's not going to happen. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Definitely not a World Series run. They don't have the the team to make a World Series. Um, although, I mean, I shouldn't say that because once the playoffs start, any team has a chance, no matter no matter what. We saw it with the Nationals. Who the hell expected them to make it all the way through and win a World Series, and especially to beat the Astros the way they did? So I shouldn't say that, but it's going to be a big test for them without certain guys in the bullpen. That's going to be big. And who knows when Severino's coming back, if he's coming back. Um, they keep pushing him back. Kluber's pitched twice. He hasn't looked good. Um, or at least he... He starts off okay, and then he kind of loses it, uh, which is what happened today. And again, if if the starters can't last more than four, four and two thirds, maybe five, the bullpen's going to be dead within a week. Mm. Not great, Stacy. Not great. No. But we'll see. We'll see. A lot of baseball left to be played, and you never know. You never know. Right. And you know, it's going to be played later, later in the season. It's going to be cold. It's gonna be really cold when baseball finishes up uh this is it fall. though with global warming i mean that's do we true think it's, do we think it's gonna be cold we might we might have uh playoff games delayed by hurricanes at this point Whew. Whew. not great the pictures mm-hmm. and the videos out of nyc this past week just Ugh. unreal Mm-hmm. yeah well what's i just the fact that people were dying in their apartments because there are a lot of illegal apartments in certain parts of New York, especially Queens. And, you know, it's people who come here to try and get a better life. Landlords take advantage of them, put these, put them in these horrible apartments. There, there were two families that were wiped out and it happened so quickly. The people in the neighborhood said that the water went from being barely existent to flooding their first levels in like eight to 10 minutes. There was no way for these people to get out of these apartments. And it's just, it's horrible. And they're expecting another storm to come this way. So I I don't know, something needs to be done. It's just scary. Yeah. I, there was one I saw of a rat, like swimming around a mega rat swimming around one of these, like that will never not be just insane. Oh, you know what? New York city rats are amazing. Mm -hmm. Do you have a New York city rat story, Stacy? Oh, Okay. Can mm-hmm. I tell this? I'll tell it quickly. Okay. I was coming home from work. I'm so excited for in, this. Okay. I was living in upper Manhattan mm-hmm. and sometimes I would take different trains home because sometimes I'd want to leave work and get the hell out of work, but not go home right away. Mm-hmm. So I took the local train to the 168th street station, which is where the A and the C train are. And the A was what took me home. So I'm waiting for an A train and I'm standing on the platform waiting and the people sitting on the bench probably three feet to my left are all looking near my feet and i'm like what are they doing and i look to my right and there's a rat sitting next to me as if oh, no. it's waiting for the train <laughs> so i go I, I look at it and i'm like are you coming with me are you coming <laughs> home with me and the people were like all freaked out <laughs> because at that point i'd seen so many rats that they didn't even scare me because they're just so big they really look like cats like they don't even look real 
and it just sat there and I really thought it was going to come on the train with us. And then it kind of dove off, <laughs> dove off the platform onto the tracks and the poor lady in the family. Cause it was a, a mother, a father and a son. She had her, like, she was standing up on the bench, like terrified that this rat was going to gnaw at her. And meanwhile, I'm having a conversation with the rat. <laughs> I was just like, Hey, are you coming home with me? Like, what are you doing here? He was literally hanging out on the platform as if it were waiting for a train. That's it was incredible. great. <laughs> That's incredible. It was so awesome. <laughs> Not really any stuff like that in, in Knoxville, Stacy. I don't really have any of those, those kind of stories. Um, there was a piece, and we'll wrap up here, on mm-hmm. Tristan McKenzie and what he was doing um, for this Cleveland team. It's a, it's a positive Cleveland story to end up uh, mm-hmm. on, this, on this podcast. What did you make of this piece and uh, what happened in his post-All-Star break um, run he had for, for Cleveland before, before it wrapped up here? Yeah. What I, you know, from watching him, I, real, I, you know, I knew he was thin, but I didn't mm. realize how thin. <laughs> I mean, 6'5 and 165 is really small. Like, I don't understand how guys like him and Chris Sale can actually throw without breaking something in their arms because they're so thin. It's just amazing to me. Um, And I didn't realize that he was um, out with shoulder fatigue. But Mm -hmm. um, from what I read in the piece... It might be from the size and frame. Right. And it's not the first time that it's happened. And, um, you know, he's had issues like this in the minors and... Um, I mean, what do you do? I mean, do you ask the guy to gain weight? Because what if he does and then that screws up his arm because he's not used to having weight on his arm, you know? But I don't know how they would solve this uh, because, as you said, you know, the run up to the shoulder fatigue, he was doing amazing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know how that would work. Um, But then he might naturally put on some weight. Because as we were talking about other guys going into their prime, he's still pretty young, right? So um, he might put on some man weight, <laughs> as, as, as that sometimes happens to guys in their, like, you know, mid to late 20s. They suddenly become, like, more manly looking. Um, you know, he might I, I think I'm still waiting that. on that. I don't <laughs> think that's hit me yet. I'm still, still waiting on that one, Stacey. Yeah, he might put on some weight naturally, mm-hmm. but... I don't, I don't know. Um, again, that body, that frame, I just wouldn't even know what the hell it would, would be like to have it. Because I'm 5'9 and a little bit on a good day. And I hover anywhere between 155 and 165. And to hear that someone that much taller than me weighs about the same as I do just cracks me up. <laughs> I mean, you look at, like, you watch his pitching, though, and appropriate. I was, like, looking at some stuff. And it's just, he really is jarring to watch mm-hmm. pitch. Like, it's mm-hmm. jarring. Chris Sale, maybe I'm just used to, but like Tristan is just, I mean, it's different. And as yeah. a skinny, tall king myself, I can, uh, I can, I can appreciate it. I can understand it. He's not a lefty like our, our man, Chris Sale, but you know, um, we'll, we'll see. He's only 24. We'll see what happens, but, um, he's one of the, the more interesting stories in baseball yeah, see, he has plenty of time to put on that man weight <laughs> okay i'm 30 still waiting on that stacy like it's i i don't know it might be genetics it might be one of those where he's fighting uh fighting the genetics there i don't know if that's a battle anyone can win um, yeah 
We'll see. We'll see. Um, I also looked at some of those. Did you know Akron, the minor league team in uh, the Cleveland organization, their mascot is the Rubber Ducks? Yes. I okay. found this out recently. Yes. I did not know this was a thing until today. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, there are a lot of amazing minor league uh, names and mascots, and I, I always love the uh, the Montgomery Biscuits. Mm. They have great hats. They do. Yeah, I was like that. The Braves and, started uh, doing more. The Gwinnett Stripers or the Gwinnett Braves were in there, the Mississippi Braves, and I'm like, that's so boring. Expand <laughs> out. Like, that's why is everybody the Braves? Like, this is ridiculous. Have some disco turkeys. Let's go. Well, that's why I was so upset when the Staten Island Yankees were still in existence. And even though Pizza Rats won, they wouldn't <laughs> allow them to call them the Pizza Rats. It's like, you put the poll out. Mm. You're the ones who did it. And everyone voted for it. So <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going right? to do? <laughs> Stacy, what can we check out from you um, across Locked On Yankees? If you have not already subscribed to Locked On Yankees at on youtube please go ahead and do so also if you want to learn more about the yankees every single day and just know what's going on in new york uh, as a team heading towards the postseason by all accounts you want to be ready you want to be ready to have those conversations with your friends be like oh yeah i heard this unlocked on yankees from stacy gutsulius how can they check out your work and how do they keep up with you this week you can subscribe to us on youtube because we do video podcasts monday through friday and then Locked on Yankees is on every podcasting platform available. And can I say that someone on Twitter sent me a tweet joking because (laughs) whenever I talk about, well, I used to, I can't do it now because I do it on video. But when I had an audio only podcast, I would jokingly put Richard Simmons screaming the name Gary whenever I spoke about Gary Sanchez. And when Gary Sanchez hit his two home runs today, a woman who listens to my podcast said, yeah, I was screaming Gary around my house like that sound from your podcast. And I was so proud. (laughs) I thought to myself, people actually listen to my show. This is great. (laughs) There you go. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, go do that. Follow Stacy at Stace Gotts. If you have not already done so, subscribe to Locked On Yankees on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, or we get your podcast, video, audio. Stacy does it all. Stacy, thank you so much for making the time per usual. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, I will talk to you next week. Okay. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.